Hi, and welcome to another episode of Nothing to Hide. My name is Kevin. And on today's episode, I wanted to talk about some of the racial uh, equality measures that could be taken into effect. Um, make some radical changes that will improve humanity. So let's jump right into it. The first thing I want to bring up, the protests have had such an enormous impact on the many reforms that are taking place today. And so it's proof that when people come together and make a resounding effort to demand changes in a peaceful manner, government officials have no other choice but to heed our calls. We've all seen the memes. I think it's absolutely incredible. Uh, I read in the Los Angeles Times that San Francisco is replacing police officers with trained, unarmed professionals that will be um, supporting the calls and arriving on scene for um, homeless matters, uh, school disputes, um, and and many other, which is such an which is such a huge step in ensuring that people don't get killed, whether it's by accident or by uh, or whether it was um, fueled by racism. It's just it's one less possible avenue of a victim getting shot, an unarmed victim. Um, so I had a conversation with um, the founder of the Universal Brotherhood, which is uh, a men's group where we're simply trying to empower and support each other. And um, it's a really great organization that I was fortunate enough to be invited to uh, join. And I'm, I'm going to be one of the panelists speaking to uh, racism against East and Southeast Asian, um, which I am finalizing my speaking points today. But for those of you that won't be able to attend, um, I thought I would give you kind of like a, a preamble to that right now. So I want to first and foremost just say that I do not condone violence. I believe that de-escalation should be the very first priority as opposed to um, resorting to violence. And there's a lot of arguments going around that are in favor of defunding the police force. And I had a lot of time to think about it, and I don't necessarily believe one is better than the other. I think both are good. Because if you defund the police and take that money that you're defunding and allocate it to, for example, Black Lives Matter or um, other uh, racially uh, marginalized communities, they're only going to do good with that money. So often, we underestimate what um, reparations can do. But if you really think about it, whether you are of privilege or not, if you come into money, it is natural that you're going to look after your own. And by looking after your own, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to arm them to the teeth with weapons and supplement their drug addictions or alcohol addiction. It means you're going to be providing them with shelter, with, with clothing, with 
food, um, someone that may have to commute one or two hours to get to work, you may supplement them with a vehicle or a new means of transportation to alleviate the pressure. Um, preschool, daycare, um, services to support single mothers, single fathers, right? That's where the money will gradually end up if it doesn't end up there first. So these marginalized communities will actually be able to thrive. And as a result, they're going to be likely leveraging that money to make more money and then in the end pay more in taxes, contributing back to the community. Now let's look at the other example. The other example is funding the police further, giving them more money. Now, I don't think that's a bad thing either, as long as it comes with reform. And how it would work is the police must meet mandatory course requirements on managing mental health issues, on designing de-escalation techniques, on strict and reduced or absolute no immunity from possibly killing someone because there is a form of immunity to police officers when they kill someone on the job or hurt someone. There's this unspoken understanding in contracts or in um, union contracts where there's a degree of immunity that they have. Um, often supplied by the Supreme Court. So we need to remove that and make police officers liable in the wake of unlawful murders such as George Floyd. And in doing so, when you implement the strenuous, uh, rigorous training and education and reforms to laws, what you'll find is police officers that were never cut out to be police officers that should never have become police officers won't be able to live up to the new standards created by the additional funding that's required for additional training. And you're going to have the weak drop off. And in doing so, it's going to make available for new officers that will then be able to fill that spot responsibly. So I think it's a win-win either way as long as the education, the retraining, and the justice reforms are added to either side. Because even if you defund the police and allocate the money to marginalized communities that are impacted by racism, and if the police still continue to have the immunity that's often seen all over North America, and for the most part around the world, then you're going to, you're not, you're not reducing the percentage or the possibility of an unarmed black man being killed for, for, for nothing or even for petty crimes. It makes no sense for someone to be killed for having a fake $20 bill or for selling loose cigarettes. It just doesn't make sense. You know what you do to those people? You let them go free and maybe you mail them a ticket. What the fuck are you doing? You are choking out someone for, for like petty crimes. Absolutely, police officers that are involved in those altercations, they need to have the maximum worst sentence imaginable. So it sets a precedent for any future officers that are trigger happy, that are, that 
has that has bloodlust because just recently I watched that uh, former Mr. Olympia on Joe uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, who is also a police officer. And I recall during my days uh, working in the banking industry and on multiple occasions interacting with the police and just through casual side conversations uncovering the the want and desire to have a gunfight to have an altercation take place so they believe they have an excuse to leverage violence it's it sickens me it absolutely sickens me and i know it's not a product of their their convoluted idea of joining the police force i'm sure this is taught at the academies in a way that's designed for police officers to choose between nonviolence and violence to be teetering and leaning towards violence. I'm, I've actually heard on a number of occasions officers sharing how much excitement they would get if a gunfight were to break out or some type of altercation where they had to use force. So we know that there's likely a large group of police officers out there that are sitting around in their cruisers just wishing that they had the, the opportunity to use force on someone. And again, even um, Mr. Olympia, I forgot his name, uh, Ron Coleman, when he was a police officer, repeatedly shared how he looked forward to getting into a fight, but no one would step out of line. Mind you, he's like a 300-pound, all-muscle. But it, it doesn't make sense that going into a situation that is a mental health issue or a homeless issue or a drug issue, that they go into it with the excitement of possibly hurting someone. Systemic racism within the prison system, within the police system, within the laws is real. And you know it's real because indigenous indigenous people have been marginalized repeatedly. You still see it today where lands that we have offered them and that is their own um, are being taken back because companies want to set up a pipeline, an oil pipeline through them. So we we give them land, we let them be free, we give them sovereignty only to take it back. It's ridiculous. And we ask ourselves, why can't we be peaceful with them? Why can't why can't they trust us? Now here's the good news. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I get angry, but I still believe in it. And a couple of things that I spoke about yesterday uh, with the founder of my men's group was how he, um, a biracial man uh, who grew up in Edmonton and whose father is from Ghana and also lived in Ghana for uh, I think four, four or five years, had this incredible full life of multicultural uh, diversity. And we got to share story upon story of experiences in our lives, how we grew up, where we grew up, what we learned culturally, how we feel at times so removed from our ethnic community that it's almost hard to relate. And that in itself 
is how we're going to overcome racism. I think on an evolution, uh, evolutionary um, aspect, we're also going to naturally overcome racism because we've never had the opportunity to so easily travel to different parts of the world and the accessibility of that. And as a result, it's not only known to have stronger genes if you were to start a family with your quote-unquote opposite ethnicity but that's there's more mixed families and children now than ever i apologize i have some construction that's uh taking place outside of my my studio so you're gonna hear some you're gonna hear some uh noises in the background we have nuclear families we have polyamorous families we have um, single parent families and so the interactions are just constantly um, expanding right and I'm kind of getting off track but I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic that racism will not be an issue in the future hopefully the near future because people are waking up the youth are immediately the protest the the anti-racism mission is resounding louder than ever and for once social media is doing good for expanding this campaign this campaign for good to not have racial inequality and again how we're going to do this by education education reform and retraining and it doesn't have to be education doesn't have to be um a course uh offered by uh a university or an indigenous group or um, a black college. Education can simply be breaking bread with someone across from you who is not of your ethnicity or cultural background or creed or religion. When I was growing up, from grade one to about grade six, so from about the age of seven to the age of 12, I grew up in a small rural town in Ontario, Canada, which I believe at the time had a population of approximately 2,000 people. There are high schools that have more students than the population of a small town. My parents wanted me to go to a Catholic school, which was uh, two or three townships over. I think it was about a 30-minute drive um, in a little town called Uxbridge. And I was, in grade one, for the most part, the only ethnic student in that school. I believe there was a, another student who was... Uh, West Indian. So him and I were the only two ethnic kids in the entire school. All the other students, white. No other Asian or East Asians for that. And in grade one, I remember uh, an older student, I think I think he was in grade eight, um, came up to me, pulled the sides of his eyes back, called me chink, and then began to rough me up, push me down, not let me stand up. And the next day, he met the mother of all bear cubs, that being my mother. The principal of the school, who supported me, reprimanded him. I don't know what their conversation was, but I'm sure it had uh, a contribution to him no longer interacting with me or bullying me or bothering me. And my friends made sure that I was, for the most part, never really alone. They almost pretended to be my bodyguard. And that is a success story. And I'm 37, so that was probably uh, in 19, 1990, 
I would say. In 1990, we were in 2020. In 1990, there was so much racism that was still going on and almost swept under the rug as though it's okay. I'm certain that other students like myself that were the only minority, one, or perhaps one of two perhaps, were often not given the support that they needed to prevent them from being bullied, fueled by racist people or race racism, discrimination, xenophobia. I was a success story. Now, my family decided to move to Toronto uh, in grade six. I was 12 years old and um, I had a really good group of friends at the time. And the principal, it was a new principal, but the principal of the school, with the help of my friends, I believe, um, sent me a, a goodbye message wishing me and my family well over the PA system. So you could have an idea of how a community rallied around my um, being different and supported me. I was heartbroken to, to leave that school. And my friend. Now, my first day of school in Toronto, um, I arrived late because I didn't want to go. Walking into class and seeing Chinese, Jamaican, Polish, Mexican momentarily stunned me. So, from seven, the age of seven to 12, so, you know, a good five years, pretty much just seeing only white people almost made me forget that I was Asian. And so I'm embarrassed to admit, first day of school in Toronto, I see the rainbow and I'm kind of taken aback. Now in Toronto, obviously I made friends with Filipinos, Jamaicans, Polish, Chinese, Mexican, but I didn't escape racism. I discovered a new form of racism and sometimes I partake in, in the racist narrative. Now, I've woken up since then, and I'm still waking up today, but I'm ashamed to admit, I made fun of my Filipino friends, my Jamaican friends, my Polish friends, my Mexican friends, my Chinese friends. Whether there are microaggressions or not, the essence of the jokes, whether they were um, in good or bad faith, were founded from racism. But again, I've woken up since then, and I'm still waking up today. I'm hopeful and optimistic that we're going to reduce or eliminate racism because the accessibility to education, information, and the means in which we can implement justice reform is greater today than ever. Sure, buildings are no longer on fire and there's less and less people coming out to the protest, but the information on and the spotlight that's being placed on racial inequality is greater than ever right now. And I'm seeing Buddhists protesting in solidarity with Black Lives. I'm seeing Asian communities protesting in solidarity with their Black brothers and sisters. I'm seeing war-torn countries, um, a mural of George Floyd in Palestine. There is so much momentum in this fight for justice that you can't help but be hopeful. The the individuals that are being caught out with racist tirades and um, are revealing their racist motivation are being called out, are being scrutinized all over social media. News outlets are condemning the behaviors of these individuals. Communities are coming together in support of victims of racist tirades. It's just truly heartwarming to see the world start to come together against this fight against racism. So I believe that it's important not to be neutral on this topic. And I don't 
mean to say, you know, by not having opinion on the matter. It's more of, and, and the quite opposite, and it's not giving away all your belongings and contributing every last cent to the cause. But it's it could be anything from picking up a book on the injustice to the Black community. It could be educating yourself on the history of the systemic racism that was that's been in place since you know the 1900s even even prior to that but it could also mean donating uh, a small amount of money to your local uh, black community to supporting black owned businesses it's the gesture now i'm just going to read this quote from Ram Dawes, who passed away in December of last year. And he says, even though we find ourselves afraid and not feeling peaceful and less than fully loving and compassionate, we must act. There is no way you can be in an incarnation without acting. We cannot wait until we are enlightened to act. We all hear the way in which our silence is itself an act of acquiescence to a system. That is as much an action as walking. Since we must act, we do the best we can to act consciously and compassionately. But in addition, we can make every action and exercise designed to help us become free. Because the truth that comes from freedom and the power that comes from freedom and the love and compassion that come from freedom are the jewels we can cultivate to offer to our fellow sentient beings for the relief of their suffering. So on that quote, I want to end the episode here. I appreciate you listening to my rant and... I hope you and your loved ones are safe and I will catch you here next time. Thanks so much for listening.